Look, I really want to start by uh, sharing a story that has impacted my heart and that, well, I just wanted to share with you to start this, this sermon for Easter Sunday, the day where Jesus rose from the dead. So it was 1971 and an English film crew set off onto the streets of London to film a documentary about life in the underground uh, around homelessness, around the hustle and bustle of Waterloo Station in London. And they captured um, footage of a whole heap of ordinary people doing life around the underground. Wealthy people, poor people, busy people, rushed people, down and out people, a very unlikely community of people who are sharing life together. And look, the original footage was stored away after the documentary was filmed and it was put on archive, it was tapes all the way back then. Uh, and it stayed there for many, many years until one of the original sound guys, uh, a guy called Gavin Bryars, decided that he wanted to go back to the original tapes. You see, he was experimenting with sounds and he was kind of, it was in the age of the 70s, experimentation and breaking all the rules and, and he wanted to try to find some sounds, maybe from the underground, that could, could make music. And so he went back to the tapes and he just played them and he was actually struck by one tiny snippet of sound from these tapes, it, it, a part of the tape that never made the documentary and it's just an unusual recording, uh, a song actually, of an old homeless or maybe destitute man singing a simple song about Jesus. So it's a tiny, tiny song and the video, uh, as, as Briar said, was just this little moment where they filmed and gathered this clip and this old man had a massive smile on his face and he was singing this simple song. Now, oh, here we are. Uh, look, we don't know this man's name. I mean, I just picked a picture off of Google, but we don't know the name of, of this old man. We never, uh, we never discovered who he was, but we knew that he was at least down and out, possibly destitute. He wasn't the type of person we would normally look up to. But there was something about his voice and the honesty and humanity of his song that captured Briar's heart, and he thought, oh, I think I can do something about this. Uh, in Briar's own words, he said he was attracted to the tramp's humanity and simple faith. So I'll play a recording of this album uh, a bit later on at the end of this sermon when we have communion, and I think it's a beautiful, simple song. But it basically goes like this. These are the lyrics. Uh, it goes, Jesus' blood never failed me yet never failed me yet jesus blood never failed me yet there's one thing i know for he loves me so and that was it it's beautiful though isn't it and and uh so look Bryce, he's not a religious man not at all but he was captured and he is creative and so to experiment he took this little tape and he looped it again and again and again and he recorded this loop just to see what would happen. And in an interview he said, I copied the loop onto a continuous reel in Leicester, then left the door of the recording studio open while I went downstairs to get a cup of coffee. When I came back, I found the normally lively room unnaturally subdued. 
People were moving about much more slowly than usual and a few were sitting alone, quietly weeping. I was puzzled until I realised that the tape was still playing and that they had been overcome by the old man's unaccompanied singing. This demonstrated to me the emotional power of music but also alerted me to the need to approach very carefully anything I did with this tape. It's fascinating. And so this is in the 70s, you know, and this basically this simple song of Jesus played in the background of a recording studio and a whole lot of people who weren't Christians. You know, this is the flower power generation. I mean, there were many things that were going on, but not a lot of Christianity. And, and uh, somehow this simple song of Jesus had the effect of creating emotion and wonder and beauty in this group of people. So over the next five years, Briars began a really significant project. Uh, he composed an accompaniment to the old man's voice with an ensemble of instruments building in and out, looping and looping and looping over 75 minutes. It's a long song. And um, so in this recording, there are 64 professional musicians playing the violin, oboe, clarinet, strings, I mean, the whole range of instruments. And uh, they all play a symphony to the old man's song. It's beautiful. Now, the tramp died. They never found him. He died without hearing his own song, without hearing his own symphony. But this recording, Jesus' Blood Never Failed Me Yet, has been enjoyed by thousands and thousands of people since, all across the world. It's quite a remarkable, beautiful story. There's a dignity about this album, about this old man's song, singing a love song in his brokenness to Jesus, accompanied by an orchestra. So for me personally, I love this album and I play it when I'm feeling sad and lonely. I, feel it, I play it when I'm struggling to sleep and my mind is racing. I find it very meditative to listen to this old man's voice again and again. I, I, it, it reminds me of Jesus' love. It reminds me of his grace. Uh, it reminds me of his peace, a peace that I want in my life. So I've been thinking a lot about peace leading up to Easter Sunday. For many, for a few weeks, I've been thinking and praying about peace, what it means to know peace, what it means to be at peace, what it means to give peace at Easter. Now, we live in an age of anxiety uh, where the stories that surround us are just full of brokenness and fear and violence and insecurity and intolerance and heartbreak. You know, I looked at Google News today, opened my phone, scanned it. It wasn't a single story about Jesus. I think it started with a murder, then there was a story about someone, in a transgender story, and then there was a story about like, chaos in the States, and something about Trump. There's nothing about Jesus. It's Easter Sunday. Australia has four days off for Easter, and there wasn't a single story of hope. It was all brokenness. It does my head in. I couldn't believe it. I think there might have been one story of, of Chris Easter, but it was about Santa being on a cross and it was completely irreverent and it had nothing to do with hope. So, um, you know, it's, it's easy to become disoriented by our culture, by the fear and criticism around us, uh, to lose our sense of inner peace because we are surrounded by this ambient anxiety constantly, day by day by day, especially as politics ramps up. You know, we're just surrounded by negativity and yet... When I listen to this song of this old destitute man and I hear his voice singing about Jesus' blood again and again, it brings me peace. It 
says to me that Jesus has something important to say into our culture and into our world and we need to remember his song and we need to remember his story and that he does promise us peace. But as much as I love this song and as much as this song comforts me when I listen to it, it also confuses me and it creates questions in my mind and it creates questions in my soul. It, it raises questions about the state of my soul every time I listen to it. And the reason is because on the outside you've got a destitute homeless man who did not look like he had an altogether life. And he wasn't wealthy, he wasn't powerful, he wasn't in a position of status, he had no youth that we so adore and worship today. And yet he seemed to have this beautiful, rich joy, this faith that was so simple and it just cut through the clutter of life. And then there's myself and I have it all together and I have a wonderful family and I'm healthy and I seem to have it all in terms of my career and job and yet so often I'm just racked with stress and anxiety and burdens. And I'm like, oh, the contrast is really significant. Do you know what I mean? And, um, you know, it's... I mean, look, I don't know if this, man's, if this old man had a peaceful life, and we don't know him, but his song cuts through as if he did. And, look, when I listen to this beggar, it raises questions for me. I ask the question, is it possible to be at peace on the inside? Peace on the inside when life is so chaotic on the outside, in spite of our circumstances, can we be at peace? Can you know how that's confronting? You know, it's confronting to me. And, and I also want to know, is it possible to experience rest and joy and peace at Easter? Is it possible to experience rest and joy and peace at Easter deep down in my soul? Because that's what I want. And that has been my prayer for the last month for today, for all of us and for myself. Jesus said, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. We've read this over the last few weeks. It is a beautiful promise that Jesus promises us rest for our souls, and that is what I want at Easter. I don't just want a public holiday. I don't just want time off work, a four-day break from the craziness of life. I don't just want Easter eggs. I don't want just hot cross buns. As I love hot cross buns. Too much yeast, but they're fantastic. But I don't just want that. I want something more than that. I want to walk away and experience deep, heartfelt, restorative, peace-filled rest in my soul because that's what this time should be about. Do you follow? You can have an amazing weekend I've had some incredible weekends. You can have time with family and friends. You can have Easter egg hunts. You can go to festivals. You can engage in entertainment, watch heaps of great Netflix and have an entertaining weekend and then head back into the week again and feel pretty shattered, tired, just not life-filled. Do you know what I mean? It's so easy just to be entertained on our weekends and yet... There's something different that Jesus promises us and that's what I want to talk about tonight. So true rest is more than just a break from work. It's more than time off. It's the ability to pause and forgive and reflect on life's meaning. I believe it's the ability to meditate on Jesus 
and to address the stuff of the soul. What is the soul? I don't know if I can even explain it. I certainly won't do a Sarah Deutscher and go into the neuroscience of the soul that we talked about last fortnight. Very simply, I believe the soul is the deeper yearning within us for love, for connection, for spirituality, for meaning, for relationship. It's the inner part of ourselves, the part that yearns for God, the the God-shaped hole that we desire to be filled day by day. Uh, Wesleyan followers of Jesus used to meet together in groups and they used to ask each other this beautiful question. I just think, how different would our life be if we just greeted each other instead of, hey, how are you going? Oh, I'm good. You know, like, what, if we, uh, what if we addressed each other with this question? How is it with your soul? It's a beautiful question. It's a really challenging question. Maybe don't start with that on Monday morning at your boss. How's Easter? Hi, how is it with your soul? Um, but it's a beautiful question, isn't it? And it, it's, um, it's one I just want to ask us, you know, how is it with your soul? How is it with your soul? I ask that question all week, all fortnight. How is it with my soul? I've got to say... I've been wrestling because my soul ain't been that good. (laughs) And uh, it's been a real challenge. See, God put on my heart to speak about peace at least a month ago for this day. Uh, He wanted me to talk about what it means to live in peace, to be in peace, and to share our peace from the inside in spite of our circumstances. And yet, my mind for the last fortnight, most of the time has felt like this. (laughs) I've been totally shattered. I've felt completely at ease. Ill, well, the opposite of peace, I don't know what that is, maybe dis-ease or distraction. Um, it's been really testing and for much of the fortnight before today, I haven't coped so well. You know, we had a death in our family. Uh, one of Kylie's family um, passed away last week and she went to Adelaide all of a sudden and um, to support and encourage her family uh, to spend time grieving for herself. And that, there's challenges in that. Um, and, you know, obviously I'm at home, I had the house, the kids and everything else to juggle. Uh, I didn't feel that peaceful. In my business, I, I'm a businessman in my other job and, and it's been busy. It's always busy leading up to Easter because everyone wants to get all the client work done before they have this massive holiday, particularly in government. And um, there were lots of emails, lots of meetings, lots of projects, lots of stuff getting done. I didn't feel that peaceful. And then there's pastoring. You know, Easter's a busy time for a pastor. You can pretend it's not, but it just is. Um, and there's a temptation to do too much, to be too much, to put too much pressure on myself to deliver this incredible sermon that will be memorable and that will change the world, but it's just another day. But, you know, I didn't feel that peaceful. It was a spiritual battle this last fortnight. I felt chaotic in my mind. I felt distracted in my heart. I felt distant from Jesus, if I'm really, really honest. And um, far from peaceful. And the question I asked myself, the question I wrestled with this fortnight, is what do you do as a preacher when God asks you and convicts you to speak about peace, teach you how to be peaceful, and I have no peace in my soul? <laughs> um, do you know what I mean? Well, I don't want to be, what do you do when you feel like you need to speak about peace and you feel the opposite of peaceful? I don't want to be a hypocrite. I don't want to be one of those people that Jesus talks about. One of those mask wearers is the, is the literal translation. People who put a smile on their face and you know, paint it on and yet they're full of bitterness on the inside. They, I don't want to be one of those people and yet Jesus asked me to speak about peace and it has been a massive wrestle for me for a few weeks. And yet, and yet, it's Easter Sunday. 
God, God is really, really, really good. And uh, one thing he spoke to my soul this week is when he calls us to peace, he leads us to peace. When he calls us to peace, he leads us to peace. And look, as much as I've struggled leading up to Easter, it has been a beautiful journey and uh, God has taken me on a journey towards faith and towards peace. Uh, and look, while much of it was a battle, like a rugby match, going one step forward, two step back, crashing into walls, um, God did something in me, and, and it was wonderful. You know, In the end, I don't know, it was about five days ago, and I just surrendered. I don't know what happened, but just sometimes just God reminds you of the thing that you should have known all along. And I prayed, I stopped and got on my knees, and I prayed, you know, not just for 10 minutes, I just let the sermon go, I let my work go, and prayed for an hour. And then an hour after that the next day, and then an hour after that the next day, and God just slowly did something in my soul and reminded me again of his love. He put a hunger in me for him, to be close to him, to know him as a friend, to know his love and his grace and his peace personally, and to reconnect once again with the maker of the universe. And he didn't ask me to do it for my sermon, and he didn't ask me to do it for Easter, he just put a hunger in me for him. And that's what the way it should be. And we forget, I forget, all the time. And something changed. And now I feel I can speak. Because there's something in my soul because of who Jesus is. And I want to I speak about that and celebrate it. Um, Come to me, those who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. It's true, he will bring rest to our souls. I've, I can't explain how it works. Like, I wish there was a formula. <laughs> I wish it was like A plus B equals peace. And if you do A plus B, you're always at peace, but it doesn't seem to work. I mean, does anyone have a formula? Uh, if you do, please tell me and I'll follow it. Um, there are things we can do that help us to become more peaceful, but somehow or another, Jesus just builds us into a relationship with himself and sometimes we're at peace and sometimes we're not. But as we continue to walk with him, we experience peace in our souls. So... Look, for the rest of this talk, I really felt like Jesus said to me, don't um, do anything clever, just talk about your wrestles and talk about me. I just really feel Jesus said, just talk about Jesus today. And, and then I was praying and he gave me this word and it was panorama. And I felt he said, just share a panorama of stories about me. Don't explain them, just tell them. And then we'll close up and the Holy Spirit will do something wonderful in our lives and somehow Jesus will bring us some peace. So does that sound okay? You know, a panorama is beautiful. It's like this amazing kind of photograph, and you, you're not looking at the details, but you're, just, you're in awe because of the wide lens. And so I feel like um, Jesus just wants me to share a few simple stories that you've all heard before if you've been in churches for a while. Hopefully, if you haven't been in churches for a while, this will be the first time. And then they're really good stories. But um, the cool thing about these stories is they're all true, and I'll just share them. And my heartbeat is that we'll walk away somehow miraculously knowing the peace of God. Sound okay? All right. So the first story that I wanted to share was the one that I reflected on in the storm over the last fortnight. It's a beautiful story. So Jesus has his friends, his disciples, and he heads out onto a boat in the north of Israel in a place called Galilee, the Sea of Galilee, I've been there, they have great fish. And, uh, and he, just, he went out in a fishing boat and then all of a sudden, the winds and the rain and the waves just... They came up in the most supernatural, unexpected way. 
It might have been a supernatural storm. It might have been a normal storm. But either way, at the time, I mean, Galilee is a large lake. It's not enormous, but it's a large lake. But if you're stuck in a, in, uh, a first century Palestinian boat and uh, you have uh, no GPS system, then you're in trouble. <laughs> and, uh, and so, look, they were terrified. The water's pounding them. They're being battered. And, uh, and Jesus and his, dis- well, his disciples totally freaked out. And they were saying, we're going to die and yet Jesus is there. It's hilarious, really, in the story. He's sleeping. I mean, <laughs> they're kind of freaking out, looking around at the wind and the waves, looking around at everything that's going on, the storm around, and, and he is not freaked out at all. He's having a kip. So they wake him up, and Jesus looks around, and he sees what's happening. He sees the terrified look in their eyes. He looks around, and he sees this kind of storm, the wind and the rain and the waves, and he just stands up. And he just says, Shh. and all stopped. It's beautiful. And his disciples, his friends said, what kind of man is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. So my question, I'd love you just to reflect for a, you know, a moment in quiet. What storms do you have around you right now? Are you going it alone or is Jesus in the boat with you? So the next story happens pretty soon after that story. And Jesus is traveling with his friends, his disciples, his apprentices, from one village to the next. And they have to walk. There's no cars back then. And, uh, and the Bible says that the crowds were almost crushing him. So it's, it's just like hustle and bustle. There are people everywhere. He is a celebrity at this stage because he has gone from village to village healing people. And people are crowding him and they're pushing against him. I mean, I've been in a market in Jerusalem and it's crazy like when there are lots of people and it's this kind of noisy, disorienting, dangerous environment. And uh, for an introvert like me, I would have totally freaked out. But uh, Jesus is there walking along and, and his disciples are there and, uh, and he's on a mission to go somewhere. But then all of a sudden he just stops and he says, Who touched me? Who touched me? And, and Peter, his disciple, is like, Jesus, what do you mean who touched me? We're totally like crammed up here. There's, there are people everywhere. But Jesus didn't let on. He, he looked around. Who touched me? And, and like the crowd by this stage would have been thinking, is this one of Jesus' stories? I mean, what will happen? Something is going to happen. And he just kept saying, who touched me? And then all of a sudden, this this woman, this broken woman, comes forward. She's absolutely terrified. The Bible says that she was trembling. She's trembling. And, and she steps forward. And she fell at his feet. And she said, I did. I touched you. Now, you know, she was a woman. She was also unclean in Jewish eyes, in Jewish culture. Uh, she was a woman who should not be touching a rabbi. She should not be touching a man in that culture. Um, 
she had a terrible disease where she bled from her private parts and, and the Bible said that she, she bled for 12 years and she would have been an outcast. The scriptures, uh, the Mosaic scriptures say that if, you, uh, if, if a woman is bleeding then, then she can't participate in the temple life. She, there's an, a period of being unclean but this lady was always unclean. And uh, so she, she would have been an outcast and her life would have been marked by shame and marked by pain. It would have been a terrible life in the culture in which she lived. She was not only sick, but she was an outcast from society and she certainly shouldn't have touched the rabbi. Um, and so she must have been terrified about what would happen. And Jesus looks at her and she, she explains, she says, the moment I touched your cloak, I was immediately healed. The Bible says that power left Jesus and that's how he knew to ask who touched me. And yet Jesus stops. It's beautiful. You know, I can imagine there'd be a circle of people all crowding around, everyone stepping over to kind of have a look. And, um, and Jesus says he had compassion on her. He said, daughter. I mean, how affirming is that? She not only is a stranger, she is a daughter, a, a child of God. She is family. How is that? You know, he calls her daughter and says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in. Jesus, the peacemaker, he's beautiful. Then he moves on. And someone once said to me when they are, or Amy told me once, that when sometimes you, you visualize holding on to Jesus' cloak and, um, and it's beautiful. And, and I found that very helpful. I imagine clinging to Jesus' cloak and saying, Jesus, help me when I'm struggling. And it's as simple as that. And yet his peace comes on us. So my question to reflect on next is, what shame or pain do you need healing from? Will you reach out, cling to him and ask for help? Okay, we're moving on. And this is the best picture I can get. Uh, it was too gruesome, all the other ones. Um, yay for Lego for all the violent stories in the Bible. But uh, this story is where Jesus now heads to Jerusalem. It's the Passover festival. He heads across with his family and, uh, and they're celebrating as all good Jews do. They make a pilgrimage. He would have walked for a week all the way down to Jerusalem. And Jerusalem's an amazing place. There's this enormous temple. And it's one of the great wonders of the world. It's a hustle and bustle. There's so much going on. But in the center of the temple is something called the Holy of Holies. And the Jews believe that that's where the Shekinah of God was, the glory of God, that God's presence actually lived in this Holy of Holies place surrounded by a curtain. And, uh, and God couldn't be touched by humans except for once a year by a priest. And then outside of that was an inner sanctuary where priests would give sacrifices uh, to, to God, to Yahweh, and, and they would atone for our sins. They would kill animals, so cattle, sheep, doves, and, uh, and the people would have their sins and guilt removed from them. So Jesus walks in and, and it must have been amazing, this incredible, like a Galilean you know, country boy and he sees this incredible kind of cityscape and yet something about it made him really, really mad. Jesus the peacemaker got angry. He looked at it and he saw people selling cattle and sheep and doves but in a way that was more like a marketplace than a place of prayer. 
You see, what happened at the time is that uh, there was a whole economic system built around this religion and the priests were making money off of pilgrims. Pilgrims would have to walk and they couldn't bring their animals and so they would have to buy animals to sacrifice at the temple and they were totally getting ripped off when they sold or when they purchased their animals for sacrifice. And not only that, there was this system where the, the temple priests wouldn't accept real money you couldn't bring your galilean coin you actually had to have temple coin and you had to go to money changes to exchange your real money for temple money and guess what they ripped you off there too and this whole thing was this system that actually fed the rich and and excluded the poor and and it made it all about money and profit and and religion and jesus got really 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 angry so the scriptures say that he walked out very intentionally walked out of the temple and he made a whip. Now this is cool, I love this story. He made a whip out of cords and he goes in and he just starts whipping people and he starts tipping over the tables and screaming and shouting at the money changers. I mean, angry Jesus, fierce Jesus. Can you imagine going into Salamanca Market and doing what Jesus did? You would be arrested very, very quickly. Really, you think about it, it's no different than doing that, but maybe even more serious at the time. He was annoyed at the corruption. He said, get out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into a market? But probably more violently, get out of here. <laughs> How dare you turn my father's house into a market, you greedy, conniving sons of a Abraham. Do you know what I mean? He would have been furious. And I love it. And it is such a different type of Jesus, a peaceful Jesus, yes, but, but an angry Jesus. Um, you know, it's the holy anger of Jesus. There is a healing anger of Jesus. And this is Jesus, the peacemaker, not Jesus, the peacekeeper. And there is a very big difference. You know, sometimes you need to disrupt the peace in order to make peace. Sometimes we need to disrupt the peace in order to truly be peacemakers. Not to be afraid of conflict. Jesus was not afraid of conflict like we are. He knew when to stand up for justice. He knew when to pray and he knew when to tip tables over and to open his mouth. And I love it. You know, I look at the events of the world around us at the moment, you know, I, and there's a lot that makes me mad as a Christian, as a, just as a person, as a human being. And I think, what do I do with that anger? You know, I've, I've watched the documentaries about George Pell and, and it, we have to expose ourselves to this stuff, but it just makes me mad that someone would be at the head of the church and do the despicable things he did. And we should get really mad about that because it's wrong. It is not okay. Um, I get mad when I read about an extremist going into Christchurch and gunning down innocent Muslims and then putting it on Facebook and then having millions of people share it as if it's entertainment. I just think, what is wrong with us that we would do that and what is wrong with our world that that would happen? We should be angry, don't you think? We should get mad. I get mad, I get bad, mad when I see pornography countries, you know, com companies, Big Porn Inc., advertising pornography to our seven-year-old kids, 10-year-old kids, 15-year-old kids, intentional targeted strategies to draw them in so that they can abuse their minds and, and destroy their sexuality. And that makes me mad, especially when governments won't call ISP providers to actually block that stuff, which they can do. There are so many things that make me mad. I get mad at the gender stuff happening right now. 
Uh, I get mad at some of the environmental stuff happening. Um, we should be mad. But what do we do with that madness? Do we just repress it? Well, sometimes we should be called to pray and sometimes we should be peacemakers. The things that make me mad might be different than the things that make you mad. But we are called to be peacemakers and not peacekeepers. We are called to open our mouth at times and to bring peace into our world. Yeah? So my question, it's a different type of peacemaking, but what, does, what makes you mad? What makes you righteously angry? Where do you need to break peace in order to make peace? Have a minute. So we're heading into land towards the, uh, the Easter story. Another beautiful story in the panorama of Scripture. There are so many beautiful stories. We could just go on and on and on. And they're all true. So Jesus was in a garden with his three closest disciples, his friends, Peter, James and John. It was an olive grove, the Garden of Gethsemane. And he was overlooking the city of Jerusalem now, I've been to Gethsemane and it's, you know, I have a place in Hobart where every Monday I walk up to Little Annie Falls and I can oversee the city. And every Monday I walk up there and I pray. I pray for my city. And there's nothing like seeing the city and praying. So it's just there's something physical that connects with me. And I imagine it's the same, you know, in, in the Mount of Olives, well, in, in Gethsemane, you, you sit on the mountainside and you can see the city of Jerusalem. You can look inside of it from a distance. You're outside, but you can look in. And, um, and yet Jesus wasn't praying for the city at this stage. He was praying for his life because he could see that actually at the end of tonight I'm going to be in that city and I'm going to be tortured and I'll be beaten and I'll be hurt and the sins of the world will be put on my shoulders. And no wonder he was in that garden praying and praying and praying. He did not feel at peace. The scriptures say that he was deeply distressed and troubled he was deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. That's what Jesus said. Abba, Father, which means Daddy, Daddy God. Take this cup, this cup of wrath, this cup of punishment off my shoulders. Jesus was afraid. He was afraid in the garden. He, he sweated blood. He woke his friends and he was all alone because they didn't pray with him. He knew the fate that was going to be on him. He knew that the burdens of the world would be on his shoulders. And as a human, he knew just the physical suffering that was just about to overcome him over the next few hours was going to be his. And he was on his knees saying, if there is another way, let me out of this. I am afraid I have no inner peace. There is no shalom in my soul. And yet something shifted as he prayed and as he talked to his daddy, God. Something shifted. He came to a place where he said, Father, Abba, not your will, but my, not my will, but what you will. Your will be done. 
And somehow as he wrestled with the Father and wrestled with his humanity in the garden, he came to peace. We know this because the night, that very night when he went on trial, he was accused, he was spat on, he was shamed, and he stood there in front of his accusers and then later in front of Pontius Pilate and he was completely silent. He had peace in his soul. He had a conviction about what he was called to do. And when he did open his mouth, he spoke words of truth and of love and of grace and of restoration, the entire opposite type of thing that you would expect of a man who was unfairly accused, unfairly judged and tortured to death. It's amazing that somehow in the garden he found his centre. He found peace in spite of circumstances. He overcame his anxiety. I remember a time in my life where I felt broken and alone where I could only see darkness. It was for about a year of my life. I'd never want to go back there. But I take comfort knowing that Jesus went through far, far more than that. He went to hell and back. And not only did he have distress to the point of wanting to be dead, but he also found a a way into God's light. So my question is, is your soul troubled right now? And what might it take for you to give your troubles to other father, to daddy God. Final story. Sister story. Um, so Jesus was arrested at Gethsemane. He was unfairly judged. He was sentenced to death as a criminal. He was spat on, he was humiliated, he was beaten. He had nails as thick as my thumbs put through his hands and his feet. And he died. The sky turned dark, the heavens roared. And our brokenness, our fear, our anxiety, our worry, our guilt and our shame were put on him. And in, and in its place, we received Jesus' peace. We receive his peace. Our worry goes to him. His peace comes to us. But that was Good Friday, and we've already passed that, folks, because today is Easter Sunday. Today is Resurrection Sunday. It's the day where we celebrate what really happens. We celebrate the end of the story. Jesus just didn't die. He stayed in a tomb for two days, and on the third day he rose again. Jesus rose from the dead, and it absolutely changed everything. So I'm going to finish with one last story and it's a story about a tomb, it's a story about a stone and it's a story about an angel. So the, uh, the Sabbath had ended and Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome, so friends of Jesus who would have been bitterly at grief, they went to the tomb and uh, the Bible says that it's the very first part of the morning, the first rays of light were coming they basically were waiting for the end of Sabbath to then go and anoint Jesus with spices and with oil. Uh, it was a way of both honouring his body, but I suspect it was a way of dealing with their grief as well. Um, there's nothing like seeing a body and spending time with a body to actually allow yourself to truly grieve. Um, but they knew that there'd be a large stone over the tomb and they knew it would be surrounded by soldiers and yet they got there and the tomb, as we know, was rolled away. There were no guards 
And they, their grief, their shock, their surprise must have been incredible. I mean, and it wasn't a positive thing. You know, someone has desecrated the grave. Someone has taken Jesus' body. Maybe the Romans have actually decided to take him and burn him and throw him in the garbage just like they did with common criminals. It must have been grief upon grief upon grief. And yet these women, they walked up to the entrance of the cave and it would have stunk and it would have been dark and it would have been terrifying. And yet they walked in. They walked into the darkness and they saw this. They saw his clothes folded. They saw no body. And then a man appeared, an angel of God, and said, don't be afraid. Are you looking for Jesus of Nazareth? He is risen. Run and tell Peter and the disciples that he's risen from the dead. And gee, they ran. (laughs) I mean... Just their minds must have been completely blown at this point. The man that they'd seen die and had come alive again, just as he said. Um, And the scriptures say that they were awestruck, they were amazed, they were transformed, they ran to the disciples and then Jesus appeared to them again and again and again. And hundreds of people actually talked to Jesus, spent time with him, interacted with him, ate fish with him. He rose from the dead and we have accurate accounts today from the scriptures. Uh, He took our brokenness and he gave us his peace. So look, they're my stories. They're, they're, I could have chosen many other stories, but I just wanted this Easter to remember just how amazing Jesus is, how amazing Jesus is as our Prince of Peace. He calms the storm. He heals sickness and shame. He can break the bondages of injustice. He can bring us hope in times of deep despair. He rose from the dead and so will we and for that we really celebrate we have something to celebrate this Easter so as we head into communion as we break break bread and drink wine we remember that Jesus blood never failed me yet it's one thing I know for he loves me so simple I don't really get how it works, I've got to say. But it works. Jesus promises us peace. And as we cling to him and rely on him and receive from him, we walk in peace. We can trust in the Prince of Peace. So look, just before we take communion, um, and look, for those who haven't been with us before, the way we share communion is at some point we come up and uh, we have The alcohol wine here, so wine with no alcohol, we have grape juice over here. Uh, We have bread. Please come and um, take some bread. There's some gluten-free crackers as well if you need. Uh, Take a cup and return to the seat. Anyone can share communion. You don't have to be baptised. You don't have to be confirmed. You don't even have to be an apprentice of Jesus. You simply need to be willing to open up your heart and receive from him this Easter. So um, if you would like to, uh, maybe once I break the bread, I'll invite you to come up in your own time and when it seems right, we'll finish. But I want to finish by playing uh, a song from an old man who's homeless, whose name we do not know, but he knew the name above all other names. And so we honour him because we'll meet him one day too. Um, Listen to these words and let us give thanks that Jesus rose from the dead.
never fail with me. Yes. Never fail with me. Yes. Jesus' blood never fail with me. Yes. This one thing I know for he loved me so. Jesus' blood never fell with me, yes, never fell with me, yes, Jesus' blood never fell with me, yes, this one thing I know, for he loved me so, Jesus' blood never fell with me, yes, Never fell with me, yet Jesus' blood never fell with me, yet this one thing I know, for he loved me so.